0: that,
1: Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There
2: wasn't
3: one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. I'm do or do not. There is no tomorrow. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast today. We've got.
2: John Farthing, Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler
3: and I'm Hazel Burton. On the show today we're bringing you some brand new recommendations of things we've been enjoying recently and we're going to wrap things up with our spoilerific discussion of Endgame. So, let's start the show. The astute among you may have noticed a new name amongst those introductions. Hello Andy, would you like to introduce yourself to the pod world? Who are you? Why are you here?
0: I am a highly paid consultant who's been brought in to drastically increase the quality of the show. I got here by sleeping with one of the regulars and two by of the regulars. Three. You weren't all supposed to know about each other. And by making cookies as well. So for any listeners out there who want to be on the show, sex and cookies.
3: And justify your existence, what kind of nerdy films are you in? <laughs>
0: I like all of the good nerdy films and I dislike all of the bad nerdy films, um, <laughs> such as Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Terrible, Thor Ragnarok, Massively Overrated, yeah. <laughs> Last Jedi, Incoherent Mess. Everything else mm-hmm. is pretty good.
2: Get out. <laughs> Get out of our room. Which bit are you taking exception to? All of those. I I'm... Guardians 2. Uh, actually yeah Guardians, Guardians 2 I will give you yeah Thank you.
1: I watched it twice and I fell asleep both times
2: that's not really a judge for you though because mm. you, you watch movies at like 3 in the morning and... I do in a state of mild inebriation <laughs> mild
3: Thor Ragnarok has been a sticking point in our relationship that is yet to be resolved
2: how are you going to resolve it fight no no Hazel's going to change well, her mind
3: rock paper scissors
2: well let's, let's do it now <laughs> let's have the rock paper scissors now
3: alright okay okay we're going to go on 3
2: on 3 or after 3 One two three
3: go. One two three go. Yeah, right. One two two, three. three. Two rocks. Two rocks. One two three. three. Yes. Paper covers rock. Ragnarok is awesome. No,
0: I'm I'm not feeling it. Still not funny.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so your punishment for losing that game is to say to every bartender that we go to from now on, before you order a drink, you have to say, "I love Thor Ragnarok."
0: My solution to this is to never buy you a drink ever again. Is that what you want? <laughs> oh,
1: <bollocks. laughs> this is something that's backfired horribly. Didn't plan that one. <laughs> no. So you genuinely think The Dark World is a better film than Ragnarok?
0: Definitely. And I know The Dark World certainly He's has... just been awkward now. I'm really not. I no, like but The Dark really World. believes that. I do. It's Loki's best outing, The Dark World. It does have its flaws. Chris Reckleston and Natalie Portman don't try. The ending is dumb. It's got the right amount of humour, which enhances the story without undermining any characters or any of the events, unlike Ragnarok, where the humour is there to completely destroy all all of the previous mythos and story, and to derail all of the tension and drama in every single scene.
1: I think my favourite thing about The Dark World was Natalie Portman just so clearly not wanting to be anywhere near that set. I've never seen a performance that just has so much disdain for the material. And Natalie Portman went up in my estimation because of that.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> First up is our recommendation segment where we have been watching and reading things lately and we'd like you to enjoy them too. John, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks?
1: Uh, mainly sleeping and masturbating. <laughs> oh, sorry, you mean... Yeah, sorry, in, Should in... Have been more oh, Is that
2: what you're recommending, John? <laughs> yes, that's my recommendation
1: for life. Add pizza to that and you need never leave and, the house add again. Add pizza to that. Yes, yeah.
3: <laughs> a Peter Pizza.
1: I
2: don't think he heard you, or he would have reacted with more horror. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have been watching a film that came out several years ago, so I'm really behind the curve on this, but it has just appeared on Amazon Prime, and it's a film that I've been meaning to watch for a while called The Babadook. As a horror fan, I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen it before. It's sort of been on my radar for a little while, and it's had really, really good reviews, but for some reason I never got around to watching it until it appeared amongst the morass of shit and that is 99% of Amazon Prime's offerings. So it is an Australian film by a female director called Jennifer Kent, based on a short film that she did a few years earlier. There is a single mother with a troublesome child who is not quite a teenager, so sort of is maybe about eight or nine years old. And her husband is not around because he died in a car accident, driving her to the hospital while she was about to give birth to the child. So it's the mother and the child alone. The child has behavioural problems, it's very difficult, and as a result of this, the mother is having a hard time juggling the work and the childcare. As the film starts, the child is having nightmares and they saying that there is a monster in his closet, but it may be that the monster may be actually either real or more than you may think at first. The mother finds a book, in the child's bedroom the book is called the babadook and it's a pop-up book about this terrifying creature in a top hat who haunts people she burns the book the book comes back and slowly she starts seeing the babadook too and is she going insane or is the babadook a real thing it's an amazing film the design and the direction is great you don't see an awful lot of the babadook It would have been terrifying had he not resembled two cultural icons of Britain. He looks like a cross between Jerry Sedowicz, the comedian, and the judder man from the Bacardi Breezer
2: adverts. (laughs) (laughs) Oddly, I was going to say Ebenezer Good, which of course was Jerry Sedowicz, wasn't it?
1: The film almost looks black and white. The house is entirely decorated in shades of grey, so it's really oppressive. And without wanting to spoil it, essentially you've got what I think is one of the best metaphors for grief and the grieving process that I've ever seen on film it's really really well done from a psychological perspective the ending is not the typical ending that you would expect from a horror film but it is absolutely perfect when you realize what you watch is not necessarily a horror film but more of a film about somebody coming to terms with the death of a loved one and what you have to go through to be able to survive that sort of traumatic event do
2: you prefer that sort of meaning and metaphor in your very much so
1: yeah I like a horror film to be about something. My favorite horror, one of my favorite horror films, is *Dawn of the Dead*, mm. which is you know a satire on consumerism as opposed to a straight horror film. Yeah. Wes Craven did this a lot that the horror film is used to talk about something in society or something that would be a bit straight and dry. If you talked about it in a normal way, but introduces ideas while still giving you lots of fun at the same time.
3: A lot of horror films use the trope of someone seeing something and not sure if it's real. And then when they try to explain that something to someone else, no one else believes them. So does it feel original whilst honouring a traditional trope? Yeah,
1: I mean, you've got that of people not believing her, but that's a very minor thing. It's more a case of her denying it to begin with and then having to realise that it's something that is really there and, and how you deal with that.
0: How likeable were the protagonists slash victims? I find that a horror film really, for me, hinges on whether I care about the people who are in peril.
1: Uh, You care about the mother. The the kid is a little shit, frankly, at the beginning. (laughs) You feel really, really sorry for the mother at the beginning. He was having to juggle raising this kid on her own, working in a care home has no social life. And there's very few male characters other than the child in it. There's the guy at the beginning who looks like he might be a romantic interest, but then fades out very, very quickly, which I think is deliberate, the idea of that you can't have this life. You can't let anybody in, how you you internalise things and nobody else can understand what you're going through and people won't accept what you're going through and give you the space. When you see the ending and you click about what it's been talking about throughout the film... So it's just a great great piece of work mm. one of my favourite films of the last few years I'm amazed and in Babbage it took me this long to watch it <laughs> there's, a, there's an interesting thing that apparently the Babadook for reasons that are not clear within the film has become an LGBT icon
2: right. so I
1: think that somebody had a picture of him at a gay pride parade or something and for some reason he's become a meme that pops up at all these events and the writer and is like well that wasn't the intention at all but I think it's great and now you yeah. know
0: they're going to work that into the sequel
1: There's no way there would be a sequel. I think they were offered money for a sequel Mm. and the director said, no, I've told a story. And Mm. it's a story that comes to a a natural and satisfying ending.
2: And then the producer says, sod it, we'll take the money. take the money, (laughs) yeah.
1: There's a bit, maybe about half an hour, 20 minutes from the end where you think, is this going just down the route of a conventional horror movie? But it manages to subvert that expectation at the end. That's probably a good thing. You get what you expect from a horror movie. You get the jump scares and the, the thrills and the chills. But that's not really what the meat of the film is about. I will say no more because I, I would recommend everybody should go and see it.
3: Yeah, I fancy that one. How
1: gory is it? Uh, there's moments of gore. There's a moment Hazel won't enjoy.
3: Is this something to do with an animal being hurt?
1: There's an animal in the film... But what happens to the animal is contextually justified and isn't gratuitous.
3: Is there many jump scares?
1: Surprisingly few, but I'm quite inured to a jump scare. You might see something in the corner of a room or running in the background of a frame. So it is a bit jumpy, but even if you're not a fan of horror, I I mean, I think you'd really enjoy it. I think Mm -hmm. anybody who is not massively queasy about horror...
3: Speaking of the animal thing, Dan, who is working today, that's why he's not here, but he recommended a great website to me just to check if any animal gets hurt in a film and it's called (laughs) doesthedogdie.com. So you can enter in the name of the film that you're about to watch and if you're particularly sensitive about watching scenes where animals get hurt, then you can check that film.
1: And if you particularly enjoy watching animals get hurt, then also the (laughs) website is (laughs) a handy guide. Well, that
2: that is why you read the BBFC website, isn't it, John? Mm -hmm. That's
1: a, will there be tits?
2: <laughs> Back in the day, there was a
1: physical film book you could get. So remember you used to get like Halley Wheel's Film Guide and the, the mm. Time Out Film Guide. Yeah. There was one that its job was specifically to tell you whether there was nudity in a film or not. In a good way. In a good, good a way. a plus or a negative. It, it was aimed at the, at the perverts, I would say, rather than, <laughs> the, rather than the conscientious
2: parent. John Farthing's Guide to Movies. <laughs>
3: Well, from pervert to uh, something not pervertish. I watched an awesome documentary on Netflix recently called Knocking Down the House. It features
1: knockers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, it centers around four women who are trying to displace long serving members of. What was that? Nothing. Seven. <laughs> Eight. Eight. Eight what?
1: Eight knockers. <laughs> Oh, women eight knockers
3: <laughs> right you two are gonna watch this documentary and you're gonna come to the next podcast and say hey i'm so sorry i made a joke of it <laughs> it's a really powerful documentary anyway yes four women who are trying to displace long-serving congressmen who have been in their seat for years and years and years and are disserving their constituents because they're not listening to them it features women who have never been in politics before, but they've all got their own reasons to join in. So it's mainly around Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's created quite a following based on her um, articulation and the way that she's able to get something across in her house debates. She's actually she's very young. She's only 29. Her father died a few years ago, and that meant that she had to work double shifts in a restaurant in order to prevent their house from being sold to foreclosure. It also features um, a woman called Amy Viella, whose daughter died recently from a disease that was entirely preventable, but she didn't have health insurance. Mm. It also features uh, Corey Bush, who in her neighbourhood, an unarmed black man was shot by a policeman.
1: I assume that's no relation to the Bush Bushes. No,
3: no relation. And then the last one is Paula Jean uh, Swearingen, I think that's how you pronounce it, She was basically fed up of watching friends and family die as a direct result of environmental effects from the coal industry. So incredibly important motivations.
2: So they're each kind of issues-based?
3: All issues-based. We spend a lot of time with them and their motivations. And for obvious reasons, it's very emotional, particularly when we're dealing around death. And the woman whose daughter had died very, very recently, and she's like, this is the only way I can cope, is by getting her justice and changing the health system. It's shot by a husband and wife team, but it's directed by the wife and they team up with is it Justice for Democrats. That organisation is directly trying to displace politics by getting people who've never been in there uh, before, particularly with what is going on at the moment.
2: They're literally going and getting people they think might be good candidates and trying to persuade yeah. people to be politicians who weren't doing it for their own selfish reasons.
3: Yeah, doing very much grassroots campaigns, knocking door to door, things like that. Most people have probably um, seen it. It was the House race in 2018 where the ratio flipped, so there's now a lot of new women in and a lot of people from diverse backgrounds mm. now in Congress. Which Do is great. they
2: tend to be independents rather than one of the two main parties?
3: These are all Democrats, but the focus actually wasn't on democratic policies at all. It was issues-based. Well, the, the Democrats kind of overtook didn't they, the majority because the Speaker is now a Democrat. Is that right? So they've got the majority in the House...
2: Yeah, but the Republicans still have the Senate. Yeah.
3: Yes, that's right. The
2: four people they were following, Cortez got in. I think the other three maybe didn't, is that right?
3: That's right, yeah. So Spoilers. <laughs> it's not a spoiler in that it would be disappointing if all four of them didn't get in because it feels like this grass movement mm-hmm. sort of thing wouldn't work. Cortez actually said it herself, it'll take one of us to kind of start the snowball effect of this happening. And those guys didn't get in now, but it was a lot closer than they thought it was going to be. So this is the start of a movement. So it's very inspirational that way. Cortez, she does have a bit of magic around her. She has vulnerable moments. So when she st- first starts going through her door-to-door campaign, you can see how nervous she is. And she's like, what if they don't like me and things like that. There's a huge moment where she's about to debate with joe crowley this is the first time he's actually shown up to to debate Mm her so she knows this is her big moment and what she does is she kind of like opens her arms wide trying to spread herself big physically Mm -hmm. because what they're going to try and do is say you're inexperienced you don't belong to here you've got no idea about how politics works so she is kind of training herself in her own mind i do know what i'm talking about these are Mm -hmm. issues i genuinely believe in and her whole campaign is about Americans deserve to be represented by other Americans, not these people who have their own Mm self-interests. A second huge moment was her going through Joe Crowley's campaign leaflet and just being absolutely sickened with what he's put in there. There's no primary date, so it's almost as if he knows he's going to win.
2: Oh, so he's the sitting Democrat. He's a sitting Democrat,
3: or he was. Um, (laughs) He'd been in his seat for more than 20 years, something like that. Fourth most important Democrat in the entire party. And all of it is negative talk about Trump, which is obviously fine. Nothing about what he was going to do for ordinary Americans. And that's what she was going to stand for. It's a very, very powerful watch. I can see why some people are kind of thinking it's been deliberately marketed almost as propaganda. But you have to be an incredible actor if that wasn't genuine. Because her reactions when she won, Mm -hmm. there was so much emotion on her face. And the last shot is of her walking up the steps to the Capitol building and just sitting down and just kind of taking it all in and being in absolute tears about what she was about to do. And yeah, you, you got to have like 12 Oscars under your belt if you were going to do that and it wasn't genuine. It's a really, really powerful documentary. Really recommend it.
2: So, yeah. well, Andy, let's have a man's view on this. <laughs> what do you think?
1: Yes, let's have an important view. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I agree 100% with Hazel because it's an outstanding documentary. It's very, very moving, uh, very engaging. Uh, it does mostly follow Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but she herself has effectively a main character in this film, is incredibly likable, very, very human, charismatic, engaging, believable, and you'd have to be very, very cynical, I think, to um, watch her and not be on her side. It's deeply moving, especially when she wins, and uh, she is utterly genuine. All of their stories are something that mm-hmm. will likely touch you, and I think that's the main thing that will grab people in, is, is the emotion in the documentary. It's powerful, and it's, it's definitely worth a go. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. So the story ends with her getting elected? Yes. Yeah, because I know her mainly now... From A, the agenda that she's trying to put through is a good thing, but also the constant attacks that she's getting, even though now she's in the Senate. It seems to be a lot of old white males
2: scared of her.
3: Yeah, Donald Trump Junior's had a massive go at her and they are absolutely running scared because mm-hmm. she uses evidence in her arguments. Uh I think it was the Mueller inquiry. She was the most impressive because she knows her facts. Inside out. So if anyone says something that is incorrect from a factual perspective, she instantly corrects them. It's incredibly impressive, but she mm. does put a massive amount of homework into it. And she's got a great culture around her as well.
1: This is the one where the fans of footage were dancing at college and put it online, said, Look at the dancing woman. And she was <laughs> like, Well, <laughs> yes, here's me dancing at college. And yeah. ended up with a lot of support because of that yeah. it just seemed like is this the best you can do
3: oh yeah, yeah. she got attacked by joe crowley in the uh, debate about like a person she's supposed to have met and she just stands up and goes that is an absolute lie <laughs> um and then she proceeds to explain exactly mm-hmm. why it's a lie but he is desperate gra- grappling at anything to try and dismantle her and obviously vastly fails so yeah, powerful stuff.
2: Yeah, sounds great. Definitely want to watch that. I haven't seen it yet. For my recommendation, uh, I'd like to talk about a new series which is based on the movie What We Do in the Shadows. Has anyone seen the series yet? I've seen no. the first episode. All oh, right, Okay. And uh, there wasn't enough in the first
1: episode to keep me watching, so y- you can sell this on me now.
2: Okay. Uh, well... <laughs> you can sell me on this now, even.
3: <laughs> you can st- sell John on the yeah. black market. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, it starts on BBC on the 19th of May. I've seen all of them now. Um, How have you done that, Peter? Never you mind. <laughs> it's based on the 2014 movie, which was directed by Taika Waititi and starred Jermaine Clement and uh, people they often work with. And it was kind of a fake documentary where the crew would follow the vampires around wearing crucifixes. But for this show, Waititi's directed three episodes. Clement's directed three episodes. The first episode felt like it was running over territory that you'd seen in the movie. Is that the problem you had with it?
1: That was my problem with it, that even though the plot wasn't the same, a lot of the jokes felt like they were just repeats of the, the movie.
2: Well, I think in time when you watch more episodes, you won't feel that, because certainly the second or third episode takes quite a big left turn. It introduces a weird extra character who's an energy vampire. He's a day walker. He can walk around during the day. He looks like someone from the office. He feeds off people's emotions and creativity basically boring them into a stupor and taking the energy from them. The other vampires all hate him, but the job he does pays for the rent for all of them. It's odd, because they're all playing these sort of Eastern European accents, but all three of them are English actors. The new characters are played by Kay Van Novak, Natasia Dimitriou, and Matt Berry, who plays it exactly as you'd imagine Matt Berry playing it, because every character he does is always very similar.
3: Remind me who Matt Berry is.
2: He was in Toast of London. House of Fools with Reeves and Mortimer or oh, the IT crowd Garth Marenghi's
0: Dark Place Yes, is in, yes. But I know you haven't seen that Hazel you yeah. Yeah, should it's good mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's excellent
3: for some reason I thought you meant the guy from Heartbeat but obviously not
2: oh that's Nick Berry
3: there you go <laughs> <laughs>
1: that'll
2: be a very <laughs> <Why>? different film <laughs>
1: okay. I don't like him as an actor which is probably another reason I didn't enjoy that he's
2: not really an actor he's a character have you seen the
3: movie
2: no It's us take it what why have you not seen the movie I can answer that
0: Go on then. No, I lost the rock, paper, scissors. I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> The
2: Ragnarok, paper, scissors. Um,
3: it's, it's, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. But it's definitely something I want to watch.
2: Okay, well, if you like the film, I think you'll like the TV show. In this one, the sort of documentary format makes it look like it was made really, really cheaply. But then they'll do an effect like transform into a bat or something they do quite often. They'll have sort of wire work where they're floating or flying and crawling up a wall. And those effects are actually done pretty well. So it's obviously a choice to make it look a bit cheap to give the sort of realism feel to it. And there's a massively star-studded episode, episode seven, where they wheel in lots of other people. And I don't want to say who, because that just kind of spoils it. But it's quite surprising some of the people they have. Certainly, if you like the movie, I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, John, I think if you watch another two, mm-hmm. that's probably the required amount to know whether or not you like it.
1: And they're only short out the half-hour yeah, episodes, so yeah. uh, I will give it another go mm-hmm. once I finish Barry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a TV show is just a man I've got in my house.
3: <laughs> oh, it just reminds me of the scene from Seven. You've got a man in your house you've been keeping there for a year. Mm-hmm. just torturing.
2: Why are you smiling when you say that, Hazel?
3: Because Seven's an awesome film.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's been shown on FX channel in the States and they've just announced that it's been renewed for a second season, 2020. Give it a try Mm -hmm. and watch about three episodes before you make it end up.
1: Is it a similar thing to The Office in that you start with the first few episodes maybe just aping the original too much before it finds its own feet and becomes its own
2: thing? I think there's an element of that in trying not to alienate existing viewers. They perhaps go a bit too far in the pilot. Mm-hmm. you know the pilot is directed by the same person who directed the movie so he does kind of have an excuse to uh, ape himself as it were cool okay what, what have you got for us andy i've been watching
0: an interactive series uh which is legally available peter on netflix it's called you versus wild and it is the incomparable bear grills pottering around the wilderness doing stupid things as he does so well it's uh choose your own adventure style format
1: it is a specifically not a choose-your-own-adventure-style format. Is it not? No. Um, Charlie Brooker and Netflix, I believe, are getting sued. Oh, right.
2: They're not allowed to use that name anymore.
1: For it being too similar to choose-your-own-adventure. <laughs> so it is a select-your-own-choice show.
0: Well, I'm very happy to describe it as choose-your-own-adventure because as much as I really like Bear Grylls normally, I am motivated when watching the show to try to cause him as much harm as possible. So if I can help him get sued, then Mm -hmm. all the better. Sorry, Bear. Um, I usually enjoy Bear Grylls and his shows. I think he's a very likable guy. Um, He strikes an interesting line between nature documentary and hitting things with sticks and eating them. I'm aware that his usual shows aren't fully real and they will be scripted to some extent. One of the drawbacks for me of of this new show is that it's, it's even less believable and, and it kind of obvious that it had to be scripted because of the way that they've filmed multiple paths. But the idea is that uh, is jumping into a ridiculous place, be it a jungle or a desert or a mountaintop um, or uninhabited coastline. He's got some thin storyline that he's trying to get to. So there's a a doctor was trying to get medicine to a isolated tribe somewhere and has gone missing and we have to find the doctor and then you have to help him make decisions as, as if you're on the journey with him. Do I go through the mangrove swamp? Do I go through the river? Oh no, alligators, that kind of thing. Do I run from the alligator? Do I fire a stone at it with this useful slingshot that I happen to have with me? It's a, it's a little bit weird, to be honest, but it's, it's a bit of harmless fun. The episode's length will vary depending on how successful you are in your attempts to kill Bear Grylls. Between 20 and 30 minutes.
1: Can you kill Bear Grylls?
0: Not I, yet. I
3: came very close. Um... I've drawn
0: blood. I've poisoned him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got him lost on the side of a cliff. But so far, he has survived very much like a cockroach.
3: There's a moment where he has to walk across thin ice, and he gives you the option of just kind of walking very gingerly, which means he'll get there faster, or crawling on his stomach. And he explains the benefits and um, the Mm. negative consequences of both of those actions. And I'm like, you know what? There's a dog in danger. He's getting worse by the minute. Let's have him kind of walk across very, very gingerly. And he fell through the ice and nearly um, drowned and nearly froze to death. So that, that was a close I came. But it, it is immersive. I don't know whether it's just my personality or how effective it is. But when he fell through the ice, I went, oh, my God, I've killed Bear Grylls. <laughs> I was so shocked. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is very well done, actually.
0: See, when I saw that happen, I wasn't worried for him because uh, having watched a lot of Bear grills before, I, I've seen him fall through ice before on purpose. And I thought he would just do what he normally does, which is to get naked and do star jumps, which is apparently the thing to do when you're very cold and wet. The show's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a bit harmless fluff, um, I suppose. Uh, it's, uh, at times, I've found it maybe a little bit patronising in as much as uh, Bear is talking to the camera uh, as if you're there and saying, help me do this. And then if you make a decision, which he, he deems to be the right one, he'll say something like, yeah, smart, well done. Is that just a lack of acting ability on his part? No, I don't think so. I think it's more just the format. Mm. Uh, maybe I'm just a, an awful cynical bastard, though. It could potentially it be it is possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you say that you thought it was fake, some of the bare Grylls stuff, but, but I wouldn't believe at first that a man could survive for so long in those, like, inhospitable conditions, could endure drinking his own piss and all that. I just think that's ridiculous, but, I mean, Barry's still alive, so...
3: <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing to Barry?
2: He gets to choose his own
3: adventures.
2: (laughs) I thought you chose his adventures for him.
3: Which torture device (laughs) would you like today?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do you want the knacker clamps or the. The knacker clamps. (laughs) a local punk band, Sounds like an (laughs) Oliver
0: Postgate
1: series from the 70s. The knacker clamps live in a small town.
0: (laughs) So, Bear Grylls. Uh, if, if you like him, then you'll like this show. If you don't like him, then watch the show and try to harm Bear Grylls. It's fun. Uh, it's not hugely high concept. It's eight episodes. Uh, Runtime will be about 20-30 yeah, minutes per episode. And uh, if you're interested in such things, Netflix says it's rated PG for mild threat, injury detail, language, and potentially dangerous behavior. Ooh. And if that doesn't sell you on the show, then... I don't know what will. (laughs)
3: Tits.
0: (laughs) No tits yet, but I'm not all the way through.
1: (laughs) No naked star jumps yet.
0: (laughs) We can only hope.
3: So this film's been out for a month now, so hopefully you've had a chance to see it by now. It is, of course, Avengers Endgame. We're going to be having our spoilerific discussion. So if you haven't seen the film and you do care about spoilers, by all means, skip this section and go and see it. If you don't care about spoilers or you've seen it already, hang on in there.
1: I'll oh, skip the cinema, apparently, because some cinemas have been showing the new Spider-Man Far From Home trailer before the Avengers. I
2: thought it was supposed to go afterwards.
1: I think the View cinema were putting on afterwards, but there's certainly people in some audience have been going in, yeah, mm. and it's been shown in the coming attractions before the film starts. Apparently, even with the know. Tom Hiddleston at the beginning, said so if you haven't seen Endgame, then leave now <laughs> not Tom site sorry um, Holland. Tom Holland Tom Holland
3: yeah so when we did our in the car segment none of us really knew how to process it and we also <sighs> really we couldn't really talk about it without talking about what happened um, so this is our chance now to kind of go into a lot more detail should we start from the start and go through yeah it? I think yeah? so so the first scene we see is Hawkeye okay. um, so yeah sorry yeah, this, I was going to say Tony Stark but it's Hawkeye your favourite character John
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you would like to see him unhappy don't you do?: i do yes
3: <laughs> even this unhappy
1: well it means sexy velma's gonna leave him then
3: but she turns to dust
1: <laughs> still would
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, 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 oh dear
3: we saw at the end of infinity wars um you know, obviously a lot of our heroes turning to dust and then in the closing credit sequence we saw some planes being crashed in the scene with nick Fury. We haven't really seen ordinary people get dusted. And obviously it's happened to 50% of the universe. So that's a kind of a great way to, to open it, mm. really.
2: And a good reminder of what happened and essentially drop you straight back in where the other film left off.
0: And it also did a very good job of effectively setting the tone for Endgame, being very, very emotional. And it was, um, for people who aren't John, possibly heart-wrenching to see <laughs> Hawkeye loses. People have California. a heart. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and then we, we cut to see uh, Tony Stark in Nebula playing a game of, what do you call that flicking thing? <laughs> no, not that flicking what thing. What do you call that flicking thing? I meant the other flicking thing. All <laughs> by myself.
1: Imagine if you were having a crafty wank and Captain Marvel appeared at your window. That would be, a, that would be an awkward <laughs> thing to explain.
3: Talking about things to explain. How do you explain the ships completely busted but they still have gravity? What sure how I explain that one?
2: Magnetic boots?
3: Magnetic okay, boots.
2: Could be. <laughs> don't need power for magnetic boots.
0: Well, it's more that they have power but they don't have fuel. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Set aside the fact that vacuum of space mm-hmm. inertia, you'd still be moving, but only Firefly gets that right.
3: That scene we've already seen in the trailer because it's him talking into his helmet, which is obviously very funny, (laughs) uh, talking to Pepper and um, not knowing if she's still alive or not.
2: And whether she'll ever get the message.
0: And it's yet another scene that hammers home the uh, grief and the loss and uh, the, the fact that Tony Stark has been beaten in the last film. He's given up hope. And the scene in which he's recording what will probably be a final message to Pepper it's another heart-wrenching moment
3: you see how skinny he's gotten as well yeah you see him putting on his jacket all the strength seems to have evaporated we've never seen him like that before captain marvel is a kind of a bit of a focal point because prior to seeing it john you were a little bit worried that she would be the one to save Mm -hmm. everyone Mm -hmm. whereas she's she does a lot in this film but she's not the focal point
2: no i was very happy with how that was handled
1: when we would spent a lot of time with these other characters and you want to see the original Avengers have their last moment almost. But also Captain Marvel is just so overpowered that it's difficult for you to imagine her being defeated or not just going in destroying the entire army. Could we interest in what they do in Captain Marvel too? we're gonna yeah. have to temper her powers somehow.
2: Or you have someone else in jeopardy or something uh-huh. in jeopardy, or two things in two different places. That's Did how yeah. you get conflict, I suppose.
1: It's
0: the same reason that I've never liked Superman being overpowered and I'm very excited to see a sequel and excited to see what will challenge her now.
3: They get a a good job of explaining why she couldn't be around all the time. There's a lot of other planets in the universe and this is happening everywhere and they obviously don't have you guys. Then we see the moment that Captain America and Tony Stark meet. Since Civil War, I mm. think, uh, since they had that rather large argument at the airport. Oh
2: yeah, because they don't meet at all in Infinity War, do they? No.
3: and that, that was quite a big moment because he arrived just before Pepo and first things that Tony says is, I lost the kid. It mm. just seems like nothing else matters now. This rivalry that we have between ourselves pales into significance to what we're facing now.
2: How did you feel about the five-year gap? It's obviously to give the characters time to grieve and sort of make it matter what happened. Yeah. And also to give Tony something not to want to lose because he now has a child that he doesn't want to undo.
3: When those words came across the screen five years later, I was shocked. I never saw that coming. Mm. I didn't think they were going to jump ahead that far forwards. But seeing him as a dad was wonderful. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is such a versatile actor, but the chemistry between him and Morgan was just wonderful to watch. And I love seeing that.
0: We have leapt over a fairly important plot point before they skip forward five years um, after Robert Downey Jr. goes to lie down for a little bit. They work out where Thanos is um, and they cut parts off of him they find that he's destroyed the Infinity Stones and their plan of getting the stones and undoing what he's done seems impossible and they have no plan they have no way to avenge their loss and then the five years later I think kind of just Mm. drops us into a place where they've been forced
2: to accept it Although um, when Thor knocks his head off (laughs) it's kind of a weird moment
3: Uh, I think was it Rocket he said what did you do? And uh, I was like for the head and then Thor said it it's almost like Chris and I just like you know same one mind really
0: yeah isn't that nice
3: (laughs) (laughs) so after the five year jump we see Black Widow at the headquarters she is suffering emotionally she's really really having a hard time particularly around what Hawkeye has become actually Seeing the reports of him becoming this vigilante,
0: badass vigilante, badass vigilante. John. <laughs> Bad haircut, certainly. <laughs>
3: Interesting I quite liked when, it <laughs> um,
1: when his missus comes back at the end and like she's very happy to see him. But then, what have you done to your hair, Hawkeye?
2: <laughs> Speaking of badasses, there's, there's obviously a bit of that going on with Captain America. <laughs> America's ass.
3: Yeah, it's America's
1: ass. <laughs> We're introduced to New Hulk, which has been a little bit controversial among some of the fans. Apparently, that's not a universally
2: loved. All oh, right. okay. Development Perfect of the character. Hulk. When he goes to Doctor Strange's place, she splits him into two. That gives yeah. you a chance still to have Hulk mm-hmm. and then Bruce Banner separately, as well as cutting down the effects budget. Gives Mark Buffalo
1: something to do. I
3: thought it was very well done. You'd see all the emotion on his face.
2: Would you want him to stay as that from now on, though?
3: I don't know how he can go back to smash Smash. don't really have any words, Well, it, Hulk. it could
2: go back to him not having to be that physical manifestation because he can now control it and the will can change between the two. For example...
3: I heard a theory that now he can have sex for the first time because he didn't want to as Bruce Banner just in case he became the Hulk oh, and right. destroyed that somebody. Wow. That would be
1: a different way for Black Widow to go, wouldn't it? <laughs> that was one of my disappointments, actually. the That storyline... And I don't know that it was a change in directors yeah, or a change in because it, it's only but... in
2: Weddon's two movies. If Going back to uh, Age of Ultron, yeah. it's still very much there, that relationship between mm-hmm. Black Widow and Hulk. And it's just entirely not there at all through Infinity War or Endgame.
1: They just seem to be completely dropped.
2: Unless it was that they knew it had to be Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye and therefore mm-hmm. they didn't want another character that meant more to her than Hawkeye. Maybe? I don't know.
3: There's a little bit of service to it. Hulk is the one who asks Hawkeye, where's Nat? Mm-hmm. And then you see him throw a cassette or something into the water. Mm-hmm. He does react very, very badly, but because there's so much else going on in the movie, it's hard to give so much time to that. Should we talk about the time heist? We all kind of thought there would be some sort of time travel involved in this to try and undo Thanos' snap. Mm-hmm. What do you think to how they executed it?
1: I thought it was good. They didn't actually undo the snap. They said we can't do that, so Mm. it still has some weight. And there was a lot of that with the timeline stuff, which they tried to explain, and does kind of make some sense with splitting off into different universes and stuff. So it was good that they were trying to do something that wasn't just going to completely undo what had happened, so it still had that weight, but they couldn't bring people back. In terms of the actual time heist itself, I it, was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a good mm. way to go and see some classic moments from mm. the, the past yeah. Avengers movies and the past individual movies, which is kind of a fitting thing for what is the last film in the series.
3: When they landed back in New York and there's that famous shot of all of the Avengers kind of gathered in a circle, you kind of next to me leant forward and went, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
2: Yes, I did. <laughs> I like that very much. The Dark World was a strange choice to go to, out of Thor's arc.
0: Yeah, I think they would have only done that because it's conceivably the only film that it would make sense to approach in regard to the reality stone. Uh, Where else would it have
2: been? They show where it was in (laughs) one of them and it could have been still there in the previous films, so they could have gone back to the first one if they wanted. Don't think anyone that was there would have known. Well, that didn't matter. It only mattered that the characters now know where it was. During the Thor movies, it was in the vault somewhere in Asgard. I Think so, yeah.
3: Along with no, no, nope.
2: uh, it was- wasn't.
0: It was in, in the Dark World. Uh, it's been hidden away by King Boar for uh, many, many years. You should all know this. And um, <laughs> it's been hidden underground in a big stone thing. And then Natalie Portman accidentally gets it injected into her veins. And then they take it to Asgard to try and cure her. Mm. That's the only time at which people know about it. At the end of Thor: The Dark World, as you should all know, they take it to the collector. Conceivably, you could have argued that
2: Thor might know that the Collector had it, but it wasn't really in any of the films. And it was obviously to give him a moment with his mother as well.
1: Mm -hmm. At one point I thought, well, why doesn't he go and have a conversation with Odin? Mm -hmm. But that arc was kind of completed by Ragnarok. Yeah, that's true. So uh, nothing could have been really added to that relationship, whereas the mother relationship worked very well.
3: And um, what did we think to Thor's transformation after five years playing Xbox and uh, drinking beer.
1: I'm pleased that Thor has gone for the John look, that's what I that mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> And you didn't take that as a warning then, John, that the handsome physique, which podcast listeners will be familiar with in their mm-hmm. imaginations, needs to be maintained at all costs. Yes,
1: obviously I go to the gym regularly, gym being my beer dealer.
2: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Well, I've always felt a little bit inadequate next to Chris Hemsworth. Um, We all know how much Hazel likes Chris Hemsworth. And uh, I thought one day, maybe if I found the time I could get to the gym and I could get myself a body like him. And I don't need to now. He's got a body like me. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) I like the phrase, a little bit inadequate next to Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) I'm funnier than him.
3: (laughs) It was so subversive of expectations, um, seeing the God of Thunder looking like Jeff Lebowski.
0: I suppose uh, you could make an argument that it's making fun of fat people and it's um, body shaming and so on. Mm. Not a theory that I ascribe to. Um, I think it's more of the juxtaposition between expectations of thought, as we've seen him previously, versus the surprising change, and then from there mostly the jokes are about his behaviour more than his appearance. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with that, but I think there is at least an argument to be made. Some people could be upset
2: by that. What, what do you guys think? From what I gather as well, people seem relieved that he didn't magically, I was going to say click his fingers, but that's a bit of different meaning here. Didn't sort of magically use his godlike powers to become more godlike again.
1: He needed to fix himself emotionally before he could do that, and he doesn't do that until he's had the conversation with his mother, and at the end decides what his place is.
3: He's dealing with a lot because he's carrying the burden of not going for the head in Infinity War and having his chance, Mm. not taking it, and immediately afterwards Thanos does what he does. And he's incredibly depressed, and one of the things that can happen with depression is putting on weight. So it's a very, very serious subject, and I think they found the balance of subverting the expectations, so it was funny. There's maybe a couple of things that came close to fat-shaming. So Rocket said tubs to him, I think, but Rockets mean to everybody. (laughs) And his mum actually telling him to eat a salad. The rest, as you say, it's um, comments about other things, not his appearance. So yeah, he gets called
0: Lebowski, he gets called Hairball at one point. So it's it's not just about his his physique. Um, Maybe skirted the line, but I, for me, I don't think it was too bad.
3: And I think it's a sign of kind of closeness because you only really take the piss out of people that you're very very close with.
2: We must all be very close. Yes.
3: (laughs) 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 Yeah. So maybe we should have a look at what happened on... Vormir. Vormir, I think, yep. Between Nat and Hawkeye. I was drawn into the scene, I thought it was very well done, but I've seen a lot of arguments that Nat's character arc was disturbed.
2: Mm. There still aren't that many female characters. and It did seem she was kind of cut off in her prime in a way. And also the puzzling thing that we know that there's a movie coming. Presumably a sequel. Well, it's going to have to be, isn't it?
1: Or the multiple timeline. Hmm.
3: With the Soulstone, there's no taking it back. It, it has to be done, and there's, there's, there's no reverse.
1: But
0: if they wanted to write a, a way of, of reversing it, I think they could do it without it being too illogical.
1: Do they not show Gamora in the Soulstone at the end of Infinity War?
0: The Russo brothers, in an interview, did say that, that that shot of young Gamora meeting Thanos after he's done the old snapperoo, that's taking place within the Soul Stone. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the case here.
3: Yeah. They're going back and forwards, like, both of them trying to sacrifice themselves to save the other, I thought was incredible. Because Hawkeye looked at her, ran and jumped off the edge. Just when he thought that was the moment she managed to grab him and do the opposite. I thought it was incredible.
1: That's what we learned is Hawkeye can't even kill himself successfully. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, but I think that was a, a good moment for her to go. When I know that most people don't agree with me, but saving her best friend when she's done unspeakably awful things throughout her life is a good way for her to go out. I think she's a great character, I want to see more of her, but if she had to, that's the way I would have chosen.
1: I think it was great because it was the character nobody was talking about going beforehand. Yeah. I think we were all expecting Iron Man and or Captain America, but I don't think anybody had Black Widow on the kill list
3: it speaking of Captain America, um, when he put the stones back, I'd love to know what he said to the Red Skull. Yeah, it would be like, Sh- oh, fuck, what? A, what a, <laughs> that that off, you again. We've got a lot to talk about.
0: <laughs> well, he wouldn't necessarily still be there after the Soul Stone is gone. There's no
2: need for a guardian or a tour guide or whatever he was. For it to work, Captain America needs to go before anything's changed. He has to get back there just before the other guy said, well, I'm going home now. My brain hurts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So he needs to return it before Thanos gets there with Gamora.
0: Well, if they wanted to bring back Black Widow, um, there's a a line from the Red Skull in Endgame, um, something to the effect of uh, soul for soul and eternal exchange. And eternal's a pretty strong word, but exchange is the one I'm interested in. So if they wanted to, returning the soul stone could, I suppose, be Mm -hmm. another exchange. So if they wanted to bring back Black Widow, that could be a way they could write it. I'm not sure it's a good idea to do that. Or by
1: eternal exchange. He could be talking about the nineties girl band, and if he yeah. can somehow round them up,
2: Arsehole <laughs> for arsehole, is what he really said. <laughs> Captain America's like, well, I didn't expect
1: that, but to little Black Widow. <laughs> oh, <no.
3: laughs> what did we think to the Cap on Cap fights back in New York in twenty twelve?
1: Not quite in that fight, you know. I enjoyed the hail Hydra line, yeah, which yeah, was, yeah, was a, I think the a list. nod to the comic books as well, where yeah. Captain America is a Hydra agent.
3: I love the fight because Captain America from 2012 thinks it's Loki, and it's yes. like I found mm. Loki, and, it's and like, it was nice it was like, they
2: showed a uh, Loki impersonating someone just before yeah. to help people realize why like, he thought that.
3: I can go all day, and it's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny. I really like that. Oh, and they went back to the seventies as well.
2: Plastic Michael Douglas.
1: Yes, there's a theme, isn't there, about Thor and Iron Man found peace with their respective parents.
2: Hmm. Mm. I think it was also a reason for you to see Captain America with Peggy yeah. and remind you of that relationship so the ending made sense. Yeah.
3: Interesting that they chose John Slattery rather than Dominic, uh, Cooper. Dominic Cooper to be the dad. But I guess actually John Slattery was probably closer in age at that point.
2: I think they probably went for the one they thought people would be most likely to remember.
1: Was Dominic Cooper the TV series more? No, he was as well.
2: He was in Agent Carter. He played Howard Stark in that, but he was also in Captain America.
3: That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: He he dealt with skinny Steve.
3: Yeah, I thought that was some really nice moments, especially when they're talking about the impending birth of who I assume is Tony. And Tony now is a dad, so he's able to kind of compare experiences. I thought that was quite nice. Mm
0: from the very first Iron Man film he's always been having to live up to his father it's a wonderful thing um, to, to round out Iron Man not the only part of his character but it was uh, very very nice to see and, and something that I think you could argue had been building from the very first film in, in the
2: franchise it ends with something from that first Iron Man as well the whole movie does have a little tag of the clang of the Iron Man suit being built like that's the thing that started it all and this is how we finished the whole thing
3: yeah when we finished Endgame, I was like, I want to go back and watch all the first films again. So <laughs> we've watched Iron Man and just like, oh, it's, yeah, this is That is their evil the evil plan. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, it's true. Um, okay, so yeah, then we, then we come back to the present, but there's a new nebula in town. Thanos has discovered the plot and now can't remember how. <laughs>
2: present day nebula is linked to then right. nebula and she does a princess Leia. And replays, help me up with one,
3: <laughs> from yeah. the
2: other nebula. Mm-hmm.
3: That's right. So, should we call it evil nebula, just to differentiate the two?
2: Sometimes people do it by the year, but that's even more confusing.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, the the wrong nebula has come back, and um, she finds a way to bring Thanos from 2014, I'm guessing, back to 20... Oh, I don't know what year are you You've now? you got to add five. So, yeah. Uh, 2023?
2: Something like mm-hmm.
3: that. To rain destruction on... Uh, the Avengers headquarters. Not a particularly nice scene to watch.
0: No. But they're um, all goners. I, I know Ian isn't here with us today, but in his honour, let's give Karen Gillan a shout out. <laughs> I, I thought that the part when she was neurally linked to the other nebula of her time, uh-huh. when she kind of regained her senses and she realised that Thanos knew what they were up to, the terror that she conveyed really lent a sense of drama to proceedings uh, because the timey-wimey stuff had been a little bit more lighthearted than the start of the film and it started to make things feel more heavy and also it did a lot to make thanos seem intimidating and, and a threat because in this timeline he has no infinity stones we've already seen his head fall off in this film uh, but it restores him as, as uh, the most dangerous man in the universe. It mm-hmm. uh, Really, really good performance. Nice moment, I thought.
2: I yeah, thought. I, d- I wonder whether, sort of career-wise, the fact that she's so made up in this means that it won't have the benefits it might have had for her in terms of being recognised as an actress. I think she's still recognisably Gillen. Gillan.
1: Uh-huh. You right, you say how much she was in it. She one of the main mm. leads in it, almost, mm. wasn't she? Which yeah, I was surprised much. about.
0: I think that's maybe a little bit of a, a nod to the original Infinity Gauntlet uh, comic mm-hmm. storyline because Nebula's a fairly important character in that. I think she actually gets a hold of the Infinity Gauntlet and the Stones at one point haven't read it, <laughs> possibly making that up.
1: Also a good way to bring yep. Gamora back into it so we can do Guardians of the Galaxy Three: search for Spock.
3: <laughs> yeah, yep. a Gamora who hasn't fallen in love with Chris Pratt yet. So it's just... pelvic
1: sorcery. <laughs> <laughs> There's a line where Nibbulus says it was either him or the twig.
3: Or a tree, yeah.
1: You can just imagine Rocket Raccoon and Trotsky like, what the fuck? You know, um, like, <laughs> not,
3: not even on the choice really? list.
1: Yeah. <laughs> would you rather fuck a tree or a raccoon? <laughs> oh God, we're back to that again. <laughs>
3: Actually, we never asked you at the start, Andy. Which dinosaur would you fuck?
0: Daniel Watkins is correct. Stegosaurus
1: is the best dinosaur. I
0: can you, you, do, were, I was, can yeah. you just
3: end that at Daniel Watkins? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. I, I would go for a tree.
3: You, over well, a... well,
1: I would imagine tree would have a it's w- always got wood <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's got a hole it's not going to bite in a way a I've... raccoon would like a knot there's the danger that a knot could contain wasps or an angry woodpecker <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know there's an element of risk there
1: <laughs> but a raccoon you know like rocket's vicious so I don't you know
2: well you might you like just... bitey sex
3: mm? you can talk him into a more playful
0: which one would you rather cuddle afterwards?
1: i for fuck a tree and then cuddle look
2: rocket. <laughs> that can be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Meanwhile,
3: just after the headquarters gets destroyed, then we see Captain America, Thor and Iron Man each fighting Thanos. And there are several moments during that fight where I thought all three of them could die. I thought Cap's not going to get back up after one particular heavy throw down to the ground.
2: I love the hammer. Yes, Play. that was lovely. Like, I knew and a it. nice call back to um, obviously the stuff in Age of Ultron where yep. he tries to pick the hammer up and can't.
3: Yeah, but he moves ever so slightly for Cap, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh, he I've like, heard well, a look.
2: theory that Cap knew he could have lifted it but didn't want to do it because it would have embarrassed Thor. Oh, back in Age of nice Ultron, nice guy. Because he was still worthy then.
3: Interesting. Um, and yeah, and, and uh, later he's like, "You take the little one," <laughs> and throws him. <laughs> yeah. Milmere and he takes uh, the Stormbreaker. Um, But yeah, towards the end of that fight, we hear Sam's voice, Cap, on your left, which is a callback to Winter Soldier, where he's like running around the Washington Mall and Captain's just kind of overtaking him constantly. And from the portals come the dusted Avengers. And is it Howard Shaw, the score?
2: Uh, No, it's Alan Silvestri.
3: That's when I broke down, just seeing all of these people come back. You know, I knew that they were going to come back at some point, but the way that they did it, when they're all like there to fight that fight, it was just spectacular for me.
2: First time I watched it, this is where I was getting a bit sort of stunned by that point. I didn't really take it all in. Mm-hmm. And it was only the second time I saw the movie where it had much more weight and resonance yeah. to me. And I. Knew yeah. what the hell was going on to some extent. Yeah. Though still, it was a little confusing through the battle scenes. There, there was a, you know, a, a lot, lot going on compared to, say, Game of Thrones, for instance, has shown some really great battle scenes with complex action. And you had no problem tracking who was where and who was doing what. Once you put the lights up. Yes, <laughs> yeah. once you can see what the hell's yeah. going on.
3: They did quite a good job of everyone having a close-up when they came through the portal
2: their moment yeah, yeah. Their kind
3: of moment, spider-man everyone like that
2: the other thing which was different the two times i saw it the first time where all the female characters are kind of like i've got your sister or whatever they say that tells she's,
3: them. she's not alone they don't say i got your sister <laughs>
2: what? whatever <laughs> um but i thought that was a bit naff the first time but the second time i liked it much better
3: yeah there's quite a lot of talk about this isn't there i guess the first thing is that it's quite improbable that all the female characters would be in exactly the same spot mm at the same time when that fight takes place over the course of miles and miles of countryside.
2: And also, by its nature, you're passing from person to person, so having them all in one spot to start with is a bit daft. And
1: also, they don't know each other, will they?
3: Yeah, a lot of them won't, won't have met but I don't care about any of that <laughs> because seeing them all in one shot, I was like, you go get them. It was just awesome, and I don't care. Has
1: anybody downloaded the version of the film that's been made by an angry white man?
3: I'm not going to give <laughs> them no, is any this, money. This yeah. the
2: one with no female or non-white characters.
1: Someone's taken a pirated copy of Endgame and has re-edited it to minimise the importance of the female and (laughs) non-white characters, because apparently it's all just in there for politically correctness and has ruined the film. So you've got a version where all the women are very much edited down because they're not important to the story, (laughs) and the ethnic minority characters are edited down because the guy that did it's a racist,
2: I would imagine. So for instance, Captain America doesn't hand over to a black guy. Iron Man hands over to a black guy as well, doesn't he? Don't both of them
3: hands what over
2: the mantle of their role, as it were. So Captain America hands over to Falcon and uh, Iron Man hands over to War Machine Iron Patriot. Yeah.
1: yeah, I would say that Iron Man, if anything, is handing over to Spider Man.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: particularly if you look at the trailer for um, Far From Home,
2: hmm.
1: that's made fairly explicit.
2: I mean, he hasn't got like an Iron Man suit, and it's got and, an, and an Iron I- I- Spider suit.
1: It's not about the suit, Peter, it's about what's inside
2: the <laughs> suit. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That guy's a knob who created that. Uh, just,
2: so Has anyone watched it and reviewed it as to what that does to the plot? Because surely the fact that that must screw the plot up shows that the women were important. It'll yeah.
0: eviscerate the plot. I mean, Hawkeye will get the soul stone just by going to a planet, talking to Red Skull,
1: then kneeling down in some water for a little while.
3: Well, he won't get the stone because he needs to die.
1: It's a bit with Robert Downey Jr. walking around a house talking to his imaginary wife and daughter.
2: I, d- I don't think it's that they won't exist. I think it's that, for instance, they'll both go to get the soul stone and then with no sort of debate and interplay between them he's essentially just going just gonna to just find a way to push her and go off. And then you, <laughs> yeah, they'll maybe cut from one where he pushes her off to the shot of her on the ground. So he just pushes her off and the goes, good choice, sir. Have a stone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, Red Skull's German. They wouldn't mm, like have him yeah. in there. <laughs> he's, he's not white either, So. <laughs>
1: It's just a sad indictment of the world that someone's it felt the really need to do that, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. if you'd like to download it from my website. <laughs> um, <laughs> so after the battle, we lost two characters in different circumstances. Mm-hmm. So first of all, uh, we say goodbye to Iron Man. He destroys Thanos' troops, yeah. sacrifices himself. You think that was a worthy end for the character?
0: Absolutely. That's probably my favourite singular moment in the entire MCU so far. It's absolutely astonishingly well built up to and executed and brought tears to my eyes every one of the three times I've seen the film.
3: My face hurt from the tear ducts just streaming down. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh,
1: Louise's, Godson's little brother, went to see the film and we were going to take them, but we couldn't make a date so they, were, they went with the parents instead and uh, Will, who's the younger one, is is... Seven or eight years old, and he went in his Iron Man costume. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Catherine posted a picture of like our son having a great time outside the cinema about to go (laughs) in. And I (laughs) look at it and go, Oh, fuck, no. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, he just spent the last 20 minutes just sobbing silently in his (laughs) seat. And they all just ignored him. And then when left the cinema, they just all sort of agreed in that very English way never to talk about it. It
3: was awesome. And he couldn't speak when he was dying because it destroyed him to that extent the last line we heard from him is an I and iron man which they didn't film originally but when they look back at the edit they thought they needed something there and they thought like we're, we're going to go back to one of the callbacks from the first iron man film but
2: wasn't he really resistant filming that because the emotional stuff he had to go through mm. he kind of didn't want to reshoot that bit oh, i yeah, heard I and they think I invited a producer to the meeting where they were going to pitch it to him uh, i think it was jill silver and then when they said the idea, he was like, oh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. You've got to do that. And was really massively enthusiastic <laughs> yeah. about it and really helped sell the idea yeah. to him, apparently.
3: But I, I like the fact that he didn't talk when he was dying. He's a, obviously a big talk but everything that he wanted to say. He said in his uh, like hologram to his daughter and, and to his wife, but they got to say their goodbyes to him. We're going to be okay, which is uh, got me. Um, and that meant that he could go and be at peace. Mm.
2: The end-to-cap story? How do you feel about that one? Apart from the time conundrum of how is it possible?
1: I
3: think if we go back
1: into the podcast, I'm sure, about a year ago, it said, the last scene of Endgame is going to be Captain getting his dance with Peggy. I yes. mean, that was the obvious mm-hmm. end to that character. Particularly when there's there's going to be sort of time travel involved, you could see that was where it was uh-huh. going to end up.
2: The movie, by comparison, could have ended with just saw him there and then we left mm-hmm. the character there. Yet they chose instead to come back to now and show he essentially stayed there with her.
1: Mm-hmm. it turned into Joe Biden apparently that was quite confusing <laughs> yeah. was that CG
2: or, or makeup? It was
1: makeup augmented with CG. It was very good yeah there's some, there's some shots of him in the, in the makeup. Where does the shield come from? Because the
2: shield's been destroyed he says doesn't he?
0: I don't think he does say but he's been back in time and he's probably just nabbed mm-hmm. it from somewhere. I, I don't think that's too much of a plot hole that, that bothers me they, they don't explain it but yeah. fine
1: so did he give the shield to the right person?
0: As far as the comics go, Falcon did take over the mantle of Captain America, so it
2: makes sense in that respect. As far as angry white man is concerned, <laughs> probably not. Badly yeah. CGI Sebastian stand over yeah. the the yeah. top.
3: Well, th- there's going to be a TV series with the Winter Soldier and Falcon.
1: Is it just going to be the Winter Soldier getting very bitter and Should've looking at the shield? Hasn't the Winter Soldier been Captain America in the comics for a while? There was a period where both Falcon and Winter Soldier have been I think everyone captains. has by now, haven't they? <laughs> Who hasn't been Captain America? It's
2: been running for like 50 years. <laughs> you
1: would think the character arc for Bucky wouldn't end up with him taking on that mantle, and that seems to be maybe where they were heading towards with Winter Soldier and Civil War. And I think it was interesting that they decided not to go with that. But Bucky seemed to be quite happy with it. You know, he's like nodding and smiling, going, yeah, give it to him.
2: There's people saying that his reaction to Steve before he gets on the time base is like he knows what he's about Mm -hmm. to do. Definitely. That's
0: something that uh, we didn't catch the first time we saw the film, but definitely did the second. It seems
1: like being great knowing you, doesn't it?
3: Something like that, but then he says, you're taking all the silly with you. Mm -hmm. So he knows what he's going to do.
0: It's subtle, understated, but I think a, a fairly deeply emotional thing kind of being covered by... Bucky mm-hmm. I've got a lot of time for Sebastian Stan another very fine actor
1: I struggle to think what else he's been in
3: I Tonya he was the abusive uh, husband oh, of course yes yeah. yeah and he was in the Martian as well he was on the ship that went to rescue him
1: hmm
2: and I suppose one reason as well that this seems to follow on so much from civil war is having the same writers running through them all gives you this yeah. sort of common theme line of and they know what they're intending in the earlier films sometimes so even if a thing maybe didn't quite get where they wanted it to an early one, they can mm-hmm. fix it in the later ones. And I think that's really been a strong thing for them all.
1: Doing that over 20-odd films, is that right? 21 well, films? Well, not in terms 20, of the, the writers,
2: two. but it's this, it's this particular string of movies yeah, that I all was, share writers.
1: There's the overall arc that seems to work very well, but when you go back and watch, particularly Age of Ultron, yeah. there's like a switch where Whedon stopped being the creative controller and the of others came in. But from there onwards, that run of the Captain Americas and the Avengers films are just amazingly well done.
3: So, most of us have seen it multiple times now. Uh, At least two. two. Yeah, I've seen it three.
2: I've only seen it once.
3: Have you not? Ah, Okay. Um, So
2: I have a life. No, you don't. We know you too well. No, you don't. (laughs) Being too busy with (laughs) Yeah.
3: So having had a little bit of time to digest it, some of us be to say it again, what's our final verdict on Endgame?
0: I love it. I think it's my favourite Marvel film. Perhaps that'll change once I've seen it for a fourth, fifth, sixth time and then a year's gone by and I've rewatched some other films. But right now um, it is, I think, As near to perfect as possible you could get for uh, a culmination of the previous 22 movies or however many. And I can't say anything bad about it. I absolutely love that film.
2: I think that's where it scores strongest is if you see it as that culmination of multiple films. On its own, I'd rate it lower than I rate it because of its significance and position. So with that in mind, it's like nine and a half. Whereas if for some mad reason you went to see it on its own, you'd probably see it totally differently.
1: I know somebody who went to see it having not seen it in Infinity War and had a perfectly fun time. Mm.
2: You wouldn't I'm think just... it would make any sense at all, would you? Mm.
1: As a film on its own, I very, very much enjoyed it. But I wouldn't say it's the best standalone Marvel film because it's very much a, a culmination.
3: Yeah.
1: As an end point to that series of films, as a conclusion to those characters, pretty much perfect, yeah.
3: Yeah. As John says, it's kind of a different experience than like just another Marvel film. It almost belongs in its own category. But if I was to judge it as a film, I think it's damn near perfect. I mm. was like, I'm trying to think of something that I didn't enjoy or thought could have been done better. And there isn't anything.
2: And given the background as well, it's amazing it's happened at all.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think it's a tremendous filmmaking event that we've been waiting for for over a decade and i'm struggling to think when we'll get another experience like that Mm. it's really really well done
1: obviously we've got marvel films carrying on and presumably the marvel films will continue to be interconnected to a degree as in in the same cinematic universe but i don't think they're going to try and build another climax in the way that they did with that that feels like a very one-off
2: hopefully they won't try dc and universal's approach of try and build this thing entirely from Mm -hmm. the start it's more case of get some good building blocks to start with and then you just need one MacGuffin, the stone idea even though they didn't need to know what they were going to do with everything they could start introducing the idea there were these things and how many of them there were you almost don't need to know much in phase one other than okay our next MacGuffin is you know the blue cheese or whatever Mm -hmm. but getting good films in the first place and creating characters that we care about is what matters. Because these big technical mishmash films only work because you've done the heavy lifting of creating the characters in their own individual films.
1: Come in running. Yeah. That's why um, Justice League was such a mess.
0: Not the only reason, right?
1: <laughs> I would give it 10 gone for the heads out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> 10 time
0: heists out of
2: 10 for me. A billion portals out of 10.
3: <laughs> billion. I a
2: billion, billion <laughs> out of 10. Why well, go more?
3: I'll give it 10 subverted expectations out of 10. (laughs) And that is it for this episode of the Nerdfest podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Head to social media. We're at Nerdfest UK. Um, And also it'd be mighty fine if you enjoyed the episode to leave us a rating and perhaps a review on iTunes because that really does help us. We'll be coming back in a couple of weeks, but in the meantime, you've been listening to
1: A man with a splinter in a very painful place. (laughs) Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler.
3: And I'm Hazel Burton. See you next time. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. What what wait? What? Have we done it? Have we gone for an entire episode without the H word? No,
3: don't say it! The H word?
0: You're going to use studio wizardry to pick individual words out and have me say, I love Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> don't do I'll that. go that. Because I was recording that. I'm going to use that at the end. You realise that now? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way to get out of that. And so far, the only idea I have is to destroy all the equipment, which I don't want to do. <laughs> I'll think of something else by the end.